start you with a quote today. What if there was a place so safe that the worst of me could be known and I discovered that I would not be loved less, but even more in the disclosure of the real me. Did you get that? What if there was a place so safe that the authentic real me could be disclosed? And I found that I was not loved less, but I was loved even more for bringing the true authentic me to the dance. Now, what do you think about when you read that quote? What goes through your mind, the real me, the real, authentic, raw, unplugged me? If I could get brutally honest with me, what would that look like? Is there such a place that I could reveal that person and be loved even more and possibly experience deeper healing? Well, you know, Tim, we live in this PC culture, right? You've got to keep everything politically correct these days. And uh, where where can you be real? Because, you you know, you've got to make sure that you don't do anything or say anything or write anything that could potentially offend anybody. Here's a great quote my buddy Kevin Queen shared this week. He said, if our leadership is swayed by who is going to get upset, we will end up rewarding the most emotionally unstable person around us. If our leadership is swayed by who potentially could get their feelings hurt, we will always reward the most emotionally unstable person around us. Our culture has has taught over these last years and trained our people to be easily offended, meaning American people. We live in a world where it's like, well, that offends me. The reason so many people don't study the Bible, read the Bible, ponder scripture is because God has spoken and it can be tremendously offensive because it may say something that is not compatible with the way you want to do life. So back to the quote, what if there was a place so, so safe that the worst of me could be known And I would not be loved less, but even more in the real disclosure of me. Now, the type of church and the type of culture that we're trying to create here over the last years at the cross has been this. We want this place to be known as a place that you can repent openly, that you can be raw and real, and that you can find transformation and restoration deep down inside your soul. That you don't have to live in captivity. You don't have to live as a prisoner of your past. That there is hope. There is healing. There is peace. There is a possibility for you to be set free. Now, what if you truly believed? What if you truly believed that you're no longer who you were even on your worst day? What if you truly believe when you looked in the mirror in the morning That you're no longer who you used to be when you were stuck in your sin, when you were shooting up, drinking, porn addiction, whatever you had going on, lying, manipulating, cheating, and you looked in the mirror and you go, I'm no longer who I was. Even on my worst day when I still feel like I don't measure up and I still struggle. What if you truly believed that trusting Christ in you is the source of all joy 
and peace and hope and healing and love? What if you truly could look in the mirror and go, trusting Christ in me, trusting that God loves me, trusting that God is for me, that is the secret. Now, what we believe happened at the point of salvation is absolutely crucial for the way we do life. What you really believe happened when you, if you have, repented of your sin, placed your faith and trust in Jesus, what you believe happened at that moment is crucial for how you're going to do life. If you're convinced that when you prayed and asked Christ to save you, and if you have it, we would love to talk with you at the end of our service about that. But if you believe that when you prayed and asked Christ to save you and you repented, if you believe that the only thing that took place, spiritually speaking, as a transaction was, you no longer now go to hell, you get to go to heaven, and that's it, you're going to live a very stranded life, stuck in mediocrity, and still experience a lot of defeat. But if you believe for some reason that when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you repented and said, yes, God, save me. If you really can get to the place where you believe that you were justified, theological term, meaning that God declared you righteous, it'll change the game. The biblical term is justification, which means God made me right with him because of faith in Jesus. I brought nothing to the dance. I have nothing to offer. But in that, in that key moment of saying, save me, God justified me. How crazy would it be if you could look in the mirror day after day and go, God says you're righteous. You're not dirty. You're not a punk. You're not a hustler. You're not a druggie. You're not who you were. Come on, if you can get there, it absolutely changes the way you do life. And God has said that in Scripture. Now, John Lynch, again, in his book, The Cure, said this. Your view of you is the greatest commentary that you have on your view of God. We're not jogging past this real quick. Your view of you is the greatest commentary that you have on your view of God. How you see you declares to the world, this is the way I believe God sees me. And how God sees me is crucial for how I'm going to do life. So if God sees me is lost and wicked and sinful and dirty, then I'm going to live that way. But if God happened to see me as loved and accepted with worth and security and significance, and he calls me his friend, and he calls me his beloved, and he calls me holy, then it starts to change the way I do life. How do you see you? Because how you see you is declaring to everybody else what your view of God is. Now, this is crucial. Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul lays out this schizo profile in Romans 7. A wretched man that I am, who can deliver me and set me free from this body of death? And he drives a stake in the ground. 
righteous. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. Say it with me. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Come on, come on. I want you to get this. I want you to know this. I want you to believe this. This is what God believes about you. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you really believe that every day, it would change the way you do life. Now, week after week, people come in here that are still wallowing in and battling the agony of growing up in shame and in guilt. And because of choices that you've made and because of choices that were made against you, some of you walk in here week after week after week living in shame and living in guilt. But there is not a verse in the Bible that offers greater hope than Romans 8, 1. And we're going to unpackage some more of Romans 8 here in a bit. But if I really believe that, it would change who I am. The scripture says we are new in Christ. We are no longer condemned. Shame and guilt cannot control me any longer unless I empower it to do so. That's the only way it can control me. And if you do not believe the truth of Romans 8.1, you will continue to live out of self-condemnation and you will eventually get to the place where you live with no hope. If you see yourself stuck in your sin and stuck in your disease and stuck in your addiction and stuck in your depravity, you will eventually get to the place where there is no hope. No hope. And so you'll have one of three options. You'll either say, okay, maybe there is enough hope that I can turn to Christ. I will repent and embrace the Savior. Number two, I'm going to stay stuck where I'm at because it is who I am. Or number three, you'll look at option one and two and say it's not doable, and you'll eventually commit suicide. You see people do this at times, and it's like, what happened to them? They, uh, they, st- they stayed stuck. So here's what I would encourage you with. Our opinion of ourselves has to change to God's opinion of us. Ever how you see yourself, stop, stop. Your opinion of how you see you has got to change to God's opinion of how he sees you. And if God says you're righteous, you're righteous. Your past does not have the power to declare your destiny in the future. God's word can. So I've got to change my opinion of me to God's opinion of me. But if we choose to live out of our fallen state and our flesh patterns of yesterday, and if we continue to live out of who we used to be, We will conclude there is no way that God loves me. And if God doesn't love me, God doesn't love you. And if God doesn't love you, then we're all sentenced to condemnation and shame. Once you conclude, once you conclude 
that this truth is not for you, that you're not new in Christ, that there's no condemnation. Not only do you walk yourself into paralysis, but you paralyze everybody around you because there is no way that you want to see anybody else any freer than you are. So let me define shame and guilt for you since I'm there. A working definition of shame is feeling bad about who you are. Now I want you to get this. Shame, shame, shame. Write this word down, identity. Shame, I am feeling bad about who I am. Guilt is feeling bad about what you do. That's activity. One is an identity, one is an activity. Once I conclude, I feel bad about who I am. What you have to conclude is, I am bad. That's a shame statement. A guilt statement is, what I did was bad. So many people that I know and I've worked with over the years, when they came to me out of this shame-based economy, I'm bad. My identity is jacked up. I'm screwed up. I'm messed up. I'm no good. No, you're not. No, that's not true about you. No, 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 no. God created you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. He didn't make junk. The behavior that you've done could be bad. But God looks and says, I love you. I made you in my image. I stamped my very image on you. So here's what we've got to do. We have got to get to a place where we learn to trust God in all areas of our life. If I'm going to trust God, it means that I have to get to the place where I am willing to lose control. I met with a brother this week. We had a great talk in this area right here. This was a statement my brother made to me. I love this dude. But he goes, I'm just not reading the Bible and praying like I should. What does that mean? You don't read the Bible and pray like you should. That's not your problem. Your problem is you love being in control. And because you love to be in control, why would you read a book that has authoritative truth that comes from an authoritative God? Your problem is not reading the Bible. Your problem is you love being in control. And if you love being in control, you don't want to release control. And you know this book is not a book of suggestions. It's a book of truth. So if I ever lose control and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, then I want to read the Bible and hear what my new authority has to say. But as long as I can state my authority, I don't want to read it. Come on. And I've had people over the years look at me and go, yeah, I just struggle reading the Bible. No, 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 no. You struggle trusting God. You, you, you struggle wanting to stay in control. But when you look back over your track record, it screams that you being in control is a royal mess. So, so if we can ever get, God loves me. God is for me. I am righteous. And then that simple proverb trust in the lord with all your heart learn to trust god with all your heart don't lean on your own understanding you're a whack job on your good day in all your ways all my ways 24 7 365 in all your ways acknowledge him submit to him trust him and he'll make your path straight. See, see the fundamental problem, Mama Kay, with so many of us is that we want a God that will save us and keep us out of hell, but not a God that will call the shots in our lives. 
No, no, no. I, I want to call the shots. How's that working for you? And there's so many that sit here week after week that will not allow Christ to become Lord and master and authority of your life. And you go, why is my life continuing to spiral in habitual defeat? And so many of us sit here week after week and it's like, I've asked God to save me, but I'm not going to let him lead me. And I'm not totally going to surrender to him. And we get so consumed about what tomorrow looks like and what the next day looks like. And for so many of us, we live paralyzed in the fear of the future. You see, the past is history. The future is a mystery. All we have is the present moment of the now. Imagine this. I I, I just get worked up. I don't know what's going to happen later. I don't know what's going to happen next week. None of us do. Imagine two football teams. Analogy. Matthew blows in, jacks things up, so we're going to postpone it. In Georgia and South Carolina, we're going to tee that thing off at 2.30 today over in Columbia. And some of y'all will be watching it because you're diehard dog fans. Die hard. And you're dying hard this year. (laughs) But imagine that these two teams walk out onto the field for a 2.30 kickoff, and at 2.15, both teams know what the final score of the game is going to be before it ever starts. Would that be a fun game to watch? Do you think the players could get the adrenaline, could get amped up, get the excitement and enthusiasm they needed for the game? No, they already know what the final score is going to be. And for some of us, that's the conclusion we make. Well, I'm nervous. Nervous? No, not knowing invites me to trust. Not knowing invites me to press into God. Not knowing is key to a game, and it's also key to life. It requires energy and enthusiasm and passion. Hey, what's going to happen? I don't know, but we're ready to get after it. And it invites us to trust, not fear, not be filled with anxiety. Because as soon as you start to live there, I'm in this fear. I'm in this panic. You're in control mode. And you're going to try to manipulate everything you can. But you're not going to trust God. It's like God is going, I want you to trust me. Trust me in this. Trust me with your time. Trust me with your talents. Trust me with your treasures. And believe me, excuses are a dime a dozen. Well, the reason we don't tithe and give is because you don't trust God. You can give me all this other ridiculous statements. The reason I don't do this is why. People have excuses and I just look at them going, really? Listen for excuses. Listen to your own excuses. Listen to mine. Well, the reason I didn't work out today was, the reason I didn't eat good today was, the reason I didn't get into the Word today was, the reason I didn't come to church today was, the reason, really? And you start to believe that, and it starts to determine your view of God. And it keeps you in habitual defeat. Here's good news. The scoreboard can change Today, the scoreboard and your scoreboard and your game can change today. You don't have to live in guilt and shame in the ruins of yesterday any longer. It can change. But if we do not embrace God's truth and trust this God that I'm talking about, the patterns will continue in your soul. And and let me tell you something. 
When guilt and shame and not trusting who God says and not trusting what God says about you and not trusting what God says about himself, when that is not core, when guilt and shame and you're allowing it to stay established, they're going to throw a party and invite some of these jacked up friends they've got named denial and liar and manipulator and con and abuser and misuser. And he's going to bring guilt and shame are going to invite all these other jacked up people to the party. And before you know it, your life is going to be flooded with defeat because you open the door and God's going, you, you don't have to do that. You don't have to live defeated. Shame will whisper, you're still who you were. You, you still are who you were. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and all things become new. And shame goes, that's not true about you. And it whispers. John chapter 4, what a great story, great narrative. This woman had a jacked up track record. She, she goes out in the heat of the day hoping she can avoid contact and interaction and she shows up at this well, and Jesus shows up, and Jesus starts this dialogue, and he's basically saying, hey, you're, you're, you're looking for water. You're at this well. If you knew who it is talking to you right now, you would ask him for living water, and he would give it to you, and your life could be radically changed, and they keep this conversation going. And, and, and Jesus says, uh, why, why don't you go get your husband? <sighs> I mean, I've been married five times. I'm shacked up with another dude right now. And Jesus loves her. And her past of sin and promiscuity said shame, said guilt. And Jesus said love and grace and forgiveness. And she leaves Jesus and runs back down into the city and says, y'all have got to come see this man that told me everything about me, and he loved me. What was she saying? My shame and my past will no longer condemn me. My pain and my past and my shame and my guilt will no longer define me. And I think a lot of us, we get there and we go, what happened? And so when you live a shame and guilt-based economy, not believing and changing your opinions of you based on God's opinions, you start to create this fake God. And this fake God is so distorted and you don't create this fake God overnight. It happens day after day that we continue to distort our view of God. So we negotiate and we wear masks and we play the game and we'll go to church on Sunday, but our life during the week, that's like... We're contradiction. We're not walking with Jesus. We're flirting with some God-style concepts. Don't miss this. And we distort our view of God. Here, here's some of the things that you'll see in a distorted view of God. People will say, like, number one, uh, God can't satisfy me as much as this sin can. God, God can't satisfy you as much as your sin can? No, because you've got this less wild lover and you've got this thing over here you've been running to. And, and it can be an addiction or a bondage or whatever, a stronghold in your life. But you're looking at whatever that is, that pill, that drug, that drink, that sexual fix. And you're going, 
God can't satisfy me as much as that. Really? Two, you'll say, I've always been this way. I don't believe God's powerful enough to change me. Tim, Tim, you don't know me. I've been this way for a long time. This is just the way I am. Really. No, it's the way you've been treated. It's based on choices you made or choices made against you. But you're stuck. But people say, it's just the way I am. Three, there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Dude, if you studied our biographical sketch and looked at my parents and my grandparents, I come from addiction and bondage and confusion and all kinds of jacked up stuff. I mean, if you really understood my marinade, you would know why I taste the way I do. Because something is fundamentally wrong with me. That's defeat. Four, Tim, you don't understand. I don't believe God has been good to me. No, he's been good to that person raised over there. They had a little silver spoon, but we had to absolutely grind it out. I mean, my life was tough, man. My parents separated. I went through abuse. I went through molestation. I went through absolute betrayal, and some people have. And you make the conclusion, oh, if you're not careful, God hasn't been good to me. Which leads you to, you got to understand, bro, I'm going to feel like a failure anyway, so I might as well do it. You know anybody that way? You ever made some of those conclusions that are inconsistent with the reality of who the true God is? But in the midst of living in our shame and in our pain and in our guilt, we start to make these core value statements that start to dwell deep down inside of our soul. And we've created such a distortion of who God is. God is separated from me. God is over there. I got to get my junk together. I got to get healthy. I've got to clean up my junk. When I do that, I can go over there to where God is. And grace says, no, God is right in the middle of this stuff with you. He's for you. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you healing. He wants to free you. We have to experience salvation God style. We can't play the cultural church game and make it work. We have to experience Christ as Savior and Lord. Here's something I was thinking. Listen to this. When you're focused, I want you to think about this in your own journey. Any of you who have struggled with major addictions and struggles, I want you to think about this. When your focus is fixed on fighting the sin, your mind becomes fixed on the sin. When your mind is fixed on the sin, you know that there is a temporary pleasure that exists in that sin. So fighting the sin only heightens the anticipated pleasure that you're going to get as a result of it. It's not... The sin that you're obsessed with, it's the short-term heightened pleasure that the sin gives you that you're fixed on. Now, so many of us, we look at it and go, that's the way it's worked out in my life. I get fixed on the sin. I think about the sin. I think about whatever that sin is. 
But I'm thinking more about what pleasure that sin can bring me for that short period of time. Thus, that becomes my focus. My focus is not on God. My focus is not on the goodness of God. My focus is not on God providing. My focus is on that. Now, when that happens, we start to have this unconfessed, unresolved sin in our lives. And we start to cover it. And we become calloused. And we're tempted to sin even more, maybe in that area or another area. We're unable to love. We're unable to receive love. So we're over here deflecting and defending, keeping everybody away from us because we're still fixed and focused on sin. And when we don't deal with our sin, either because we don't want to or we don't know how, we have zero confidence of walking out who God says we are. Make sense? And so, so many of us stay stuck. And I wrote this, realize this, every choice to sin, no matter how small, diminishes my capacity to experience God. Every choice to entertain sin, to ponder sin, to pacify with sin, every time I do that, I'm diminishing my ability to experience God's presence. And so this distorted view of God begins to linger. Now, what are you focusing on? Because when your focus becomes fixed on honoring God, you know your focus is now centered in the right place. I will focus on God. I will focus on God being good, God being able to satisfy, God being my sustainer, my provider, my protector, my priest. He's everything I need. Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those in Christ. No condemnation. You have received God's spirit. You have received the spirit of the living God. When he adopted you as his own children, when you were born again, saved, when you experienced the gospel, you've got God's spirit inside of you. You're no longer condemned. Now we can call him Abba. We can call him Father. We can call him Daddy. We can run to God in an intimate way and we can call him Abba, Daddy, Father. Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Does it mean that he no longer loves us when we have trouble or calamity? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or even threatened by death? No. Despite anything that we go through, victory is ours in Christ because he loves us unconditionally with agape-style love. He goes on to say, I am convinced that nothing, nothing, nothing can ever separate me from God's love. Now, listen, listen, listen. This is freeing. This is changing your focus. This is focusing on what God says about you. It's changing your opinion from the way you see yourself to the way God sees you. It's starting to believe what God believes about you. I believe that every person sitting under my voice, deep down inside, is desperate for freedom in their life. Freedom in Christ. I don't believe there's a person sitting here that would walk in here on Sunday going, screw whatever you say, I will continue to run back to my addictions to find momentary pleasure. I don't believe that. That's wrong. Sorry, I'm into it. But I don't believe there's a person in this room that came in here with the intent of saying, 
I don't care about this stuff. I'm going to do it my way. Because something inside of you is being wooed and drawn to the love of Christ that says, nothing can separate you from my love. You're no longer condemned. If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. And I believe that people walk in here week after week because deep down inside, Tara, they're starving for hope and healing and restoration and wholeness of their soul. And they're tired of lying. They're tired of playing the game. They're tired of pretending. I want to be set free. Now, here's the wrap. Ponder this question. Is my relationship with God, this is your question you're going to ask you, is my relationship with God based on guilt and shame? Or is my relationship with God based on grace and truth? How do I live it out? I'm going to give you some clues. Do I measure my closeness with God with how little I'm sinning? Or by trusting that God the Father loves me as much as he loves Jesus? Do I measure my relationship with Abba? By, you know, I'm not really sinning that much right now. Has nothing to to do with you embracing and trusting the love of God. Or do I really measure it by saying, I trust that God loves me. He's for me. He's with me. He's in me. He's wanting to do something phenomenal, supernatural. How do you view it? Second question would be, do I see myself as a saved sinner? Or a saint who occasionally sins. You go, what, what, is, what does that mean? People will say this. Well, good to see you, brother. Good to see you. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. So you're an old sinner. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Philippi. To all the saints in Ephesus, to all the saints in Colossae, to all the saints in Thessalonica. Saints. You are a saint. So you're telling me that I'm not just an old sinner saved by grace? I was a sinner saved by grace at the place of conversion. Then progressive sanctification kicked in and God goes, Saint Tim. Yes. So when you pick up the Bible in the morning, if you picked it up and you started with God's word to St. Bobby, to St. Lee, to St. Chad, come on, to St. Robin, to St. Benji, how would that change you? To St. Carolyn, to St. Billy, to St. Come on, Nathan. God's word to saint. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. No, I am a saint in Christ Jesus. I am declared righteous and now he calls me holy. I'm not trusting the Vatican to declare that on me. She's being made a saint. God already made me a saint when I came to faith in Christ Jesus. I don't need to be canonized a saint. I am already declared by the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're a saint, brother. I'm a saint. The changes, come on, come on. Is it based on guilt and shame or is it based on grace and truth? 
When I talk to God in prayer, do I spend more time rehearsing my failures or enjoying his presence? If I'm living out of guilt and shame, I just jacked it up again this week. I just blew it again. I'm no good. I suck. I'm always a failure. Or you love me. You pursue me. Even when I jack it up, you don't give up on me. You tell me to get up. Let's go. We got more life to live. Yes. Come on. He wants to set us free. Am I drawn to books and sermons telling me that I haven't done enough or I need to get serious about my sin? Or am I drawn to books and sermons that encourage me to really trust who I am in Christ? I want to read stuff that tells me who I am in Christ. I want to read stuff that tells me what my true identity in Christ is. Do I believe that maybe one day... Man, when I keep working on this stuff and really get it right, when I don't cuss for 24 hours and when I don't flip anybody off for a month in traffic and when I don't drink a beer at the ball game, do do I believe that maybe one day I'll be pleasing to God? Or do I believe that God is pleased with me right now? God is pleased with me right now. You, You see, so many of us live chained to the past going, maybe one day. I can be pleasing to God. Stop it. God is pleased with you because of what his son did. And he's wanting to develop the fullness of his son in your life 24-7. Is my energy being spent preoccupied with sinning or receiving God's love? Yeah. Do I trust that God's grace is enough to strengthen me? Do I really believe that God has declared me righteous and holy? Come on. Yes. Wrap it. I want to encourage you to do three things. You can do this every day. I want to encourage you with this. Daily, throughout the day, these three things. Acknowledge your dependence on God. Which means refuse to lean into your own power and strength. Lord, I lay myself before you. I acknowledge that I will abide in you, Christ Jesus. If I abide in you and you abide in me, you'll produce a lot of cool fruit. Apart from you, I can do nothing. I depend on you throughout the day. Save me from me. Save me to you. Lord, I have jacked it up so royally and so foolish. I've been so foolish with things I've done. I depend on you. You're driving down the road. God, I depend on you. God, I trust you. God, I'm pressing into you. God, you're enough. God, I can't make it without you. Two, tell God about your concerns for today. Ask the Holy Spirit to identify any fears or areas going on in your life. And all you've got to do is say, God, I want to tell you about the concerns I've got going on right now. Like Thursday, a couple things for me. Thursday. I mean, Barb's on the road at 10 after 5 driving to Dallas, Texas, okay? And I'm like, I'm hugging her in the kitchen, kiss her, prayed for my wife, and she took off. And I'm like, hey, Lord, you know I really love that girl right there, and I'd love to see her again. But I can't control what happens out there on the road. You're in control. I'm depending on you. Whenever you tell her to give her her breath back to you. She's got to give it back. But I would really love to see her again, but I'm not going to worry about 
potholes and semis. And Lord, I, I lift up my Aunt Ann because my mom is really hurting with that right now. They go in and something's not right and she's got this mass and tumor and they, they don't know what it is. And mom loves her baby sister a lot. And, and Lord, I want to lift that one up to you. You ever tell God your concerns? Because it goes from this and being all tight to, you know, I really do believe you're in control and I trust you. And I'm not going to tell you how to be God, but I would really, really appreciate the Holy Spirit, like really teaching me today how to trust God. So I'm not going to tell you how to be you, but I really need help trusting that you are you and you're good. Come on, come on. This is practical. I'm telling you, this is what I do. Renew your invitation for God to spend the day with you. I'm depending on you. I'm going to tell you what I'm concerned with. But God, I just want to renew again the invitation for you to spend the day with me. So you're cruising with me? Yeah. You're eating with me? You're watching what I watch today? Yeah. I've already invited you and renewed this invitation for you to hang with me today. Which means, I, since you're with me, there's probably some things right there you go, we don't need to watch that. Yeah, that, that's good. You don't need to have that conversation. That's good. But I want you to go with me. And when you start to invite God to your party every day, and you're telling him you're depending on him, and you're really trusting him, watch how he starts to awaken your soul. And you start to experience God. And you go, he's a good, good father. He is good. It starts with experience and salvation. It starts with experience in this whole thing of repenting and going, I am repenting and turning from my sin. I pledge my allegiance to you, Jesus, to be the Lord, which means master, ruler, and authority of my life. I'm tired of trying to guess and do it my own way. The Bible Belt is so crazy down here because so many people walk to house and pray prayers and they didn't experience like this lordship of Jesus. They just thought they could dodge hell. That was bad theology. Salvation, biblical salvation. Listen, listen, listen. Biblical salvation means to be delivered from the penalty of sin, the power of sin. Biblical salvation means to be delivered also to the presence and the person and the power of Jesus. Salvation doesn't mean I just dodged this. Biblical salvation means I get this. And, and so many people in the church culture, well, I've been saved. Saved to what? Saved to what? If he takes over, now, I want you to trust me. Yes. I want you to know you're righteous. Yes. I want you to know you're holy. Yes. I want you to know you're no longer condemned. Yes. I want you to know you're forgiven. All the jacked up stuff nailed to the cross, forgiven. I want you to know you're the apple of my eye. And if I had a wallet, your picture would be in it. I'm crazy about you. I pray that today's word encouraged you, and thanks for joining us uh, on this uh, broadcast today. If we can help you in your walk with Christ in any way, feel free to contact us here at the Cross Loganville. 
our email, info at thecrossloganville.org, or you can call us 770-554-3322. God bless you, and I pray that you have just an incredible day.